you for tuning in again to the Word of Life Ministries podcast for another Spirit-filled message with Rocky Brown. Let's get started. Now, for a number of weeks, we have been on a series on Wednesday nights called Where is Jesus the Healer? Now, Vernon preached two weeks on a wonderful message series on offenses, and it was fantastic. Now, it is to be regretted that we were only able to capture the audio for one of those weeks, but that which is not available yet, but it will be. It is actually available on the app, not available on the podcast yet, mostly because I, you know, between the hours of 1 and 5 a.m. when I'm not busy, I'm sleeping. So, I'll try to do better. I'm but, so Vernon did a wonderful teaching on the topic of offenses, and that was really good. And so, and then, you know, we'll hopefully he'll bring that back around here after a while, and we might even do it again, because it was, you know, anything that's worth preaching once, if it was worth preaching once, it's worth preaching again. You know, they don't, you know, they didn't quit teaching two plus two just because you learned it. <laughs> See, they keep on teaching it to other people that ain't never heard it. so. But we're on a series in uh, what's called Jesus, Where is Jesus the Healer? Now this is particularly dealing with the topic of healing and sickness and disease and all of these different things. Now the first four parts were dealing with what? Does anybody remember what the first four parts were? The compassion of the Lord. Now, the statement, this statement was made by a Pentecostal minister by the name of F.F. F. Bosworth but I, in a book called Christ the Healer. It's a good book. Now, I don't necessarily agree with 100% on everything Brother Bosworth believed, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, I don't necessarily believe 100% with me on everything I believe. So, you know, we're always evolving. But Brother Bosworth said that it is in the study, now listen very carefully, it is in the study of the compassion of the Lord that we have a complete revelation of the Lord's willingness to heal. Now, you can make all kinds of decisions and judgments about what you think God will do or wants to do based on everything that you can find outside the Scriptures and even, to some extent, inside the Scriptures but you will never actually come to the complete revelation or a good revelation of what God wants to do until you study the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and how God worked through him healing the sick. And he healed all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases in a multitude of different places for a multitude of different people. So it's, and we still looked at those verses where we talked about the compassion of the Lord and how it, he was moved to do certain things in certain areas. Now, we don't want to go back and re-preach that whole series, but you need to listen to that. So then we began to talk about and deal with a couple other things. Now, we, this is actually a message. We're going to go back and re-review the last message that we shared on this topic. For two reasons. One, it's a very, very good topic for us to go back and review because there's a lot there that we need to get. And secondly, 
we only got about two-thirds of the audio of the message because the camera shut off and stopped recording. Well, we have to re-record it or we can't continue recording the series because every part builds on the next part. And you have to have the whole thing to get it all, right? So does anybody remember what we talked about last? These girls are going to their notes. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Because with the size of the Bibles and women's carrying and the notebooks they're carrying, we might be here till tomorrow before we get to the notes from the last message. Here's the topic that we were talking about. Is all sickness because of sin? Now, um, there's one, two, three. There's at least three of the people here that I know came out of Pentecostal backgrounds before they got here. And while we thank God for the Pentecostals, there is a uh, terribly fouled doctrine amongst many of them when it pertains to sickness and sin. Now, then this doctrine is that they believe that if you are sick, it is because you have committed some form of sin. Is that right, Sister Regina? Have you heard this? Mandy, have you heard this? Okay, Vernon's, I don't know what he's in there doing, but, you know, it's, uh, he's, he's on his way back out. Nope, he's on his phone. He's... No. No, we're just poking fun at you. So... But there is, and there are other denominations of believers that do believe that, every, that if someone is sick, it is a direct result of some form of sin in the life of the person that's sick. Now, that works out as an all-right belief system until you get sick. And then all the people <laughs> in your group are looking at you going, what'd you do? Is this true? Now, some people would scoff and say, well, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. Well, all right, but what does the Bible say? What's the Bible say about it? See, theology is the study of a singular God, the study of God. That is what theology means. It is the study of God, all right? So then if I'm going to study God, the number one primary resource that I think I would use to study God would be the Bible, all right? Interestingly enough, it doesn't take you long to scroll Facebook to realize that many believers believe a lot of things about the one true God that they're not getting from the Bible. Well, therein lies the problem. So we ought to be able, now watch this, we ought to be able to intelligently defend our position and state why we believe what we believe. And any belief system built on a singular verse is built on a foundation that's missing a lot of block. So we need to know what the Scripture says about the matter. So, is all sickness a result of sin? 
Well, if we're going to say that the answer is no to that question, then what must we provide? Right. To prove that the answer to that question is no. We must provide how I personally feel. It's Tuesday. I'm not feeling so well. Maybe sickness is a result of sin. It's Wednesday. I'm feeling great. I haven't sinned today. But what does the Bible say? And too many people who are believers, including ministers, have developed what they believe about God outside the parameters of what the Bible says. I often said it like this. If my kids talked about me the way God's children talk about him, I'd be horribly offended and and heartbroken. When a teenager dies in a car wreck, a Christian teenager dies in a car wreck, and the statement is, God needs another angel. Well, God took her because it was her time. Well, I would hate for my children to derive that type of thought processes about me. That would be horrible. I would be devastated. Yet we hear it all the time, don't we? Now, let's say it like this, too. Let's throw this out there. Now, it's worth the note to understand that most people that are saying these things are saying these things in ignorance. Most people that are saying these things are saying this from a lack of understanding of the Scriptures. And but what they are doing is unknowingly charging God with wrongdoing much like Job and his friends did. See that? So what does the Bible say about sickness and sin? Is all sickness a direct end result of some form of sin? Well, let's look and see. Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading... And I'm going to read you verses 25 through 30. Now, what we're looking for here is, can we build any type of scriptural precedent that would show us that all sickness, not all sickness, is a direct relation to sin? Emphatically, yes, we can. Starting in verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my... Brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Now, it's very interesting here as I was looking at this and reviewing my notes. I saw something here I'd never seen before. Paul says, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. So interestingly enough, the great apostle considers Epaphroditus an equal to himself, not a less than. Wow, isn't that something? He says, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier, Epaphroditus. So Paul considered Aphroditus and viewed Epaphroditus as a co-worker and a co-laborer and a co-soldier. So he viewed Epaphroditus on the same plane as himself. Or say it like this, Paul didn't think himself better than Epaphroditus. 
Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we view, through the lens of history, the great apostle. Man, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament, all this different stuff. Paul says, hey, you know, Epaphroditus is my, he's my co, he, we're, we're right here. Y'all ain't catching this. Yes, I mean, if you was catching this, man, I'd see some light bulbs going off here. Think about this. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, still referring to Epaphroditus, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. All right, so the scripture confirms that he was sick. Well, if you stopped right there, and Epaphroditus was a member of certain denominations or, so, you know, certain groups or organizations that some of us have uh, washed in and washed out of, guess what? Epaphroditus is now going to be viewed as some type of uh, scandalous sinner that has opened his life up to attack from sickness because of sin, because that's the rationality. If all sickness, and some people do believe that all sickness is a direct result of sin, then they wouldn't have listened to anything else the apostle wrote. <laughs> and they would have said, well, Epaphroditus had it coming. He sinned against God. Well, interestingly enough, you know, that's not God's thought on the matter. <laughs> Let's keep reading. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death. Whoa. This is pretty bad. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Hmm. Well, would that statement right there tell you that there is some type of bond and relationship between the great apostle and Epaphroditus? Because, I mean, like, I love everybody in a general sense, but there are people that are far more meaningful to my life, that are in my inner workings of my life than, you know, Joel Osteen. I mean, I don't have anything against Joel Osteen, but if they said Joel Osteen was sick, you know what, I'd pray for Joel. But if Joel died, I'd be like, well, bless God, he made it. You know, I mean, thank God. I would, where, as in someone that's closer to me, I would take that far harder. I wouldn't, if Joe, let, let me say it like this, and I hate to say it like this because it's showing partiality, but if I got word that Joe Lowstein went on home to be with the Lord, I'd say, well, praise God. But if I got word that my friend Damien Tibbs was sick almost unto death, man, that'd grieve my heart because of the personal connection. I would use different language describing two different, this, two different parties. Does that make sense? Can you all see this? So uh, I want you to see here there's an intimate connection between the apostle and Epaphroditus. How did, we get, how did we derive this? Well, verse by verse and line by line study. Hallelujah. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. So the church, the people... The believers at the church at Philippi, they are exceedingly sorrowful and upset when they've heard that this Epaphroditus, in whom they apparently love, is sick. So sick. Well, that's interesting. 
receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Now, wait a minute. Hold such men in esteem. Hmm. Because of the work, now listen, because of the work of Christ, he came close to death. All right. Well, back up right there just a minute. Paul just said that he was sick almost unto death. And how did he get sick and come almost to the point of death? For the work of Christ. Is that what, does anybody else's Bible say this? I mean, y'all kind of looking at me like I got a third eyeball up here and it just fell out. What's happening here? Because of the, for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Well, you know, I mean, I ain't the, by no means am I the most intellectual man on the face of the planet, but, you know, this is kind of like a cannonball in the boat, the theology boat of these people that believe that all sickness is because of sin. I mean, call me crazy. Irrational. Unintellectual. <laughs> but I'm just saying. But you know what? You know, I was up amongst a group of people that believed that way. And you know, I had read the book of Philippians, and, and I don't know how many times I never saw that verse. Never saw it in that context. Why? Because I had no apocalypsis. What's apocalypsis? Revelation. What's revelation? Revelation is the unveiling of something never before, a revealing of something by God to you in which you've never seen before. Brother Hagin say it like this. I read through the New Testament through 150 times and some portions more than that. And I never saw that. And the Lord said, son, there's lots of stuff in there you ain't never seen. <laughs> there's lots of stuff in there we haven't seen. And you know what? Interestingly enough, the lens of your heart will affect what you see when you read. It's a fact. But so Epaphroditus, in whom the great apostle considers his brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and whom he apparently loved dearly, comes to the point of death because of some sickness that he has contracted while doing the work of Christ. Well, now after knowing this and seeing this, if you still tried to derive the thought that sickness is always rooted in sin, you would either have to be intentionally ignorant or intentionally dishonest or both. And there can be no in-between. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Does that make sense? Mark's processing. I see it. It's going in. Man, I mean, he's just, he's a, mm hmm, mm hmm. Oh, yeah, mm hmm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, mm hmm. I gotta have a little bit of comedic relief right there in the middle of it. The cream rises to the top. All right, but now you'd want more evidence than that, wouldn't you? <laughs> gotta have a little com comedic relief right in the middle of it. 
You'd want more evidence than that, wouldn't you? Surely you, surely you would. Go to the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. Now, this is my favorite. This is single-handedly my favorite reference. The ninth chapter of John's Gospel. Now, it's to be assumed that in the ministry of Jesus, the apostles have probably been walking with Jesus between one to two years, give or take, who knows how long, because we really have no time stamps on, on some things. But it would be safely assumed that the, the apostles have been walking with Jesus at least probably a year, if not more than that, okay? All right. Now, watch what is said. Now, as Jesus, y'all have heard of him, passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. All right, so let me ask you a question. How many medical professionals I got working in here? I got a handful. Work in the medical industry, so on and so forth, or could at least read a dictionary. How many people could read a dictionary? How many people could hear someone read a dictionary? All right, here we go. Now, blindness is, 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 is really considered a physical affliction. Would you agree to that? So that a physical affliction could be viewed as, broad spectrum sense, sickness, disease, plague, infirmity, all of these things. Can we agree to that? All right, so then something has happened and that this man was born blind. Born blind. Born. Born blind. And the disciples... Asked him, Rabbi, I could see it now. I'm just picturing how I would act if I was an idiot in this time. Because I'm an idiot in my time. So if I was the same idiot in their time with less revelation about the scripture, how would I act? Rabbi, who has sinned? this man or his parents that he was born blind. Now really if you're going to deliver this at a Pentecostal service you have to have a tambourine. So someone get a tambourine out of here. Because you know it's real when the tambourine comes out. So Think about the question that the disciples who have literally lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, been with Jesus day and night for at least a year says, Teacher, who sinned that this man was born blind? Now see, you thought that this was just something that people thinking that this stuff rooted in sin was just up amongst the Pentecostals or the fundamental Baptists. <laughs> but obviously we see this doctrine go back at least almost 2,000 years. Did we not? Ain't that what you said? Who sinned? This man or his parents? I, I, I kind of would, I would love to see, like if I could see the instant replay here, I would love to see 
the look on the Lord's face when the disciples launched this question. So the people on the camera, they don't even know what's happening here. So there's a tambourine playing in the background. Who sinned? Let me say it like this. Whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Him, his, his sin, or his parents? Well, I don't ask me. I'm not the one answered. To, I'm not asked the one that asked the question. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> How could an unborn child sin against God that caused him to be born this way? I, I kind of see, I, I kind of see like the Lord just go, oh, Lord, help me, me, sit <laughs> now, <laughs> you know. Well, so watch what the Lord says. It's interesting. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. All right? So then think about it like this. All these people that have said, well, you know, they were born that way. That's the way God wanted them to be. All right? Well, guess what? What if the reason that God's let them be that way is because someone's supposed to come along and work the works of Jesus? Because in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, he says, the one that believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these when I go to my Father. And then you could know, if you'd studied the Scriptures, that in the third chapter of the book of Acts, the man at the gate called Beautiful had been laid there all the time throughout the course of Jesus' ministry. Jesus walked past that man. And He permitted him to stay in the condition that he was. Why? Because the apostles are going to work the first miraculous work of the church and 3,000 people are going to be born again. 5,000 people. Because ultimately, the miracle that set the man free arrested the attention of the crowd. Peter and John preached to them, and 5,000 people are born again. Well, I don't believe like that. I don't. It, okay, that's fine. You don't want to believe what the Word says. I mean, it's perfectly fine. You know, I mean, you're... You know, what well, you're going to believe that when you leave this body, you're going to go to an eternal place called heaven and live with an eternal God. Uh, but you can't believe the portion of the Word that says that you can work signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay. All right. I think it would take more faith to exercise <laughs> that, you, that, you can, that you're going to spend forever in heaven than it would be that the power of the living God would come upon someone and heal them. My goodness. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, but I'll say it again because it bears repeating. Common sense goes a long way when it comes to Bible interpretation. It goes a long way. Like, literally. Like, we talk about God like He's an idiot. You realize that? 
I mean, the scripture can say something just as plain as the nose on your face and someone come along and try to give you some out of the, I mean, out of completely out of left field explanation about why they believe it means this. And you just go, (laughs) you have too much time on your hands. You need to quit thinking of stuff like this. (laughs) But now see, we go back to this and we think, okay, that sounded foolish when I started this statement about that there are some people today that believe that every form of sickness and disease and plague and infirmity is rooted in sin, but I just proved to you right there the apostles thought it. Now, if the apostles that worked with the Lord thought it, it could stand to reason that it's crept its way like a plague <laughs> over the last 2,000 years into the church. Can you see that? Does that make sense? So see here, I've given you two scriptural precedents. And the Bible says, by the word of what? Two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. Someone in the Old Testament could be put to death on the word of two or three witnesses, and I just gave you the witness of the apostle of apostles, the high priest of our confession and our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginning and the end, the Savior of the world, the Lord of glory. We've got a few more titles than that, but I'm not going to keep going. So I gave you the Lord Jesus' testimony, and I gave you the great Apostle Paul's testimony. And obviously, Epaphroditus. So you just got the witness of two the cornerstone of the church, and one of the most effective Christians to ever walk the face of the earth that just literally broke the precedent, the back of the precedent, that every sickness is related to sin. But there will be people that will not change what they believe, no matter what the Bible says. It's important for us to understand that, right? What time is it? Oh, I got plenty of time. So I want you to think about that, because these things are important. Because if someone has the belief that the sickness that they have is linked to an unknown sin, they are deceived. There is no such thing as unknown sin in your life. You know it. (laughs) You know it, Jack. You know, you know when you've done something you wasn't supposed to do. Even minutely. You're born again. The Holy Spirit in you goes, hey, you know better than that. But because it has been repeatedly and repetitively conveyed from pulpits that this is the truth, people have bought this erroneous doctrine of devils, hook, line, and sinker, because it was said by the mouth of someone that they loved or the mouth of someone that they respected. And they have not, they themselves, studied the Scriptures to show themselves approved, and they have incorrectly divided the text. This is a problem. 
Because if you're going to build your life on what I say, you better, you're in trouble. You see, people will follow people instead of following God. And anytime you're following people, you are going to end up in trouble. And the person that allows you to follow them knowingly like that is going to find themselves falling prey to the David complex. Their fall will be great. Boy, that's good preaching. The dog is excited. So I want to mention two things. Number one, I want to say this to you, is that sickness was birthed into the earth and it came through the birth canal of sin. Now its parents is rebellion and disobedience. So all sickness is in the earth because of sin, but not all sickness inhabits the body because, someone, because that person has sinned. Does that make sense? Now, it may be a little confusing, so let me say that again. All sickness entered the earth because of sin. What sin are we talking about? Well, we're talking about Adam and Eve's high treason. They sold us out. I ain't mad at him because Jesus came. But it was because that Adam lost control, authority of the earth, that sickness was permitted to enter the creation. That's the way it happened. That's the way it goes. And now all sickness is in the earth because of the one singular event of rebellion and disobedience that came together and formed man's first sin, and then by transgression, Adam fell, sickness entered the earth, Adam lost control of the earth, and now we're where we're at. So all sickness is in the earth because of sin. But not everybody that's sick is sick as a result of some form of sin that they have committed. Obviously, because we just proved that. Can you see that? All right, so it's important here that we want to stop for just a moment and address a point that is very, very important, and that is the fact that while we're going along the lines of this teaching and we want to talk about the doorway that sin can inevitably and is inevitably a doorway for sickness to get in, it's important to understand this. If you are sick, and you are requesting, you would want to request prayer to be healthy. Faith does not declare that there is not any sickness in the body that's been confirmed there. So, for example, if I have a broken arm, and I know that there is someone that from time to time the Lord will work through in the gift of healing or the working of miracles, and I, know, and I know that the doctors have confirmed that my arm is broken, or I don't even need a doctor to confirm that my arm is broken because of the pain that it is. All right? Now, as we're going in and we're executing erroneous Pentecostal doctrines, we might as well stop here just a moment and kill one other one. And that is that you cannot say that you're actually sick because that's a declaration of faith. You're calling that which be not as though it were. It's a misinterpretation of the Scriptures. 
if you are sick, going up to someone and saying, I'm not sick, will not produce healing in your body. It will not. So think about it like this. You'd like proof of that, wouldn't you? That ne Jesus never told anybody, uh, don't say you're sick. He didn't, he didn't when, when, <laughs> when Bartimaeus was, anybody remember Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus? You know, Lord, son of David, right? Heal me, open my eyes, you know, cure me of my blindness. When Bartimaeus was brought to Jesus, he, Jesus didn't say, there's nothing wrong with you. Did he? There was a couple blind people that was brought to Jesus, and Jesus said, what would you like for me to do for you? And they said, oh, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with us, Lord. Jesus said, are you sure there's nothing wrong with you? You look like you're blind. No, Lord, there's nothing wrong with us. No, we're perfectly well. That's a perfectly good way to never receive your healing. <laughs> it's a perfectly good way to not be healed of that which is plaguing you. If you have some form of sickness in your body, or there's something wrong with you, or you ate some bad gas station burritos, and now you are in need of emergency prayer. Gas station sushi. My goodness, that sounds like a Maltov cocktail right there. <laughs> like, I didn't even, not even know that there was such a thing. Mark has eat it. So in the event, <laughs> so in the event that you have ate, we man, y'all just took my list of parables to a whole new level right here. Like I mean, we just went to a whole brand new level. So if you've ate some bad gas station sushi, I about can't say that. Say that ten times fast, and then you'll end up saying some cuss word, and then they'll get you on Facebook. But, <laughs> but, and accidentally. But if you are sick, you know that you're sick. All right. Well, then, then if, if it's there, and you know that it's there, acting like it's not there is not going to help you. We have, we have not one, not one. If we could find one, one bit of evidence, if we could find just one, just one shred of evidence, then we could say, this is plausible. But we have not one shred of evidence at all, period, where someone came to Jesus that was sick, and Jesus said, there's nothing wrong with you. Quit acting like you're sick. Don't call that which be not as though it were. You see what I'm saying here? There's a number of times in the Gospels where Jesus encounters someone. like what we're about to read. It's a perfect example. But we use that to lead into this. John chapter 5. Start reading to verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in this lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting up the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, 
stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, quit acting like you're sick, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Jesus said to him, um, don't call that which be not as though it were. Because, you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't, there's no, like, there's just this phantom pains that you've had for 38 years, and it's probably gas, and so, bad sushi. Did you have, Jesus said to him, did you have some gas station sushi? <laughs> do, do you see, now Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? All right, now we laugh and we chuckle about this, but you know, genuinely people that believe this. And there are genuinely people that teach that this is the case. Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? That's interesting. Because if that's the case, and Jesus not one time ever tells someone, don't act like you're sick. Now, there's a difference between getting sick or sickness trying to come upon you and you're resisting it steadfast in the faith. Nope, that you ain't taking root in me. I'm not letting you have it. You're not, nope, you're getting out. You're leaving this body. You're leaving this mind. You're, you're not getting in here and it's trying to creep on you, right? And you're standing your ground. You ain't getting in here. But guess what? If you're sick and it's already got in, then own that and go, man, I got some trouble here. I need some help. I need some prayer. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. Well, that would tell you he was sick. We have multiple points of confirmation here that this man was sick before Jesus got there. He was sick while Jesus was standing there, and then Jesus healed him. And this man did not act like he was not sick. The woman with the issue of blood did not act like she did not have an issue of blood. She knew she had a problem. The, mat, the mat leper that came and fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, didn't, uh, he didn't try to act like he didn't have something he really had. Common sense goes an awful long way when it comes to Bible interpretation. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered, him, he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Well, I'd listen to that guy too. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said it to you? Take up your bed and walk. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. Now I want to show you something here, because sin is a doorway, is a doorway, Sin is a potential doorway for sickness to attack you. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. 
Well, now, couldn't we just use what I like to call reasonable deduction and say that Jesus said your prior sin is what opened the door of your life for what you had to come upon you and stay away from sin because the potential for something worse to come that is there. I got grace. <laughs> and you sure do. And Jesus will love you all the way you die with what you're sick of. You go on home to be with the Lord. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Now, interestingly enough, I want to back up one place. I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 4. Can I speak five more minutes? I want you to see Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> now, here's some interesting verses on conduct for the believer. <laughs> How the believer should or should not conduct themselves. Now watch this. <laughs> We're all going down together. <laughs> Verse 25. Therefore, put, putting away lying. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, Paul's coming after us now, Gertie. We better watch it. Put away lying. Woo! Woo! Yeah, him too. Let each one of you speak truth with their neighbor. Truth. Not gossip. Mm. <laughs> Boy. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. There's a direct command in Scripture, do not sin. Very simple phrase, do not sin. Okay, so you could be angry and do not sin. Now, it doesn't say, now this is misinterpreted. Let's watch this. Let's, let's get a little handle on this. This does not say that do not go to bed angry. That's not what it says. That is not what it says. It does not say that it is a sin for you to go to bed angry. That's not what it says. The Bible does not say that. What does the Bible say? It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. All right, now interestingly enough, this is a different word than anger. Wrath is the decision for judgment of ill against someone in this particular setting. So, so, don't think about flavoring your wife's tea with poison. <laughs> and wives, don't think about drinking it just to get out of it. <laughs> like, like they said at Winston Churchill one time, said Winston Churchill was a big time drunk, you know, and said he was at a party once and said... Uh, he was carrying on, you know, and one of the aristoc one of the English aristocrats said, Winston, you're drunk. He said, ma'am, you are right. <laughs> she said, if I was your wife, I should flavor your tea with poison. He said, if I was your husband, I should drink it. <laughs> 
Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but let, rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, interestingly enough, I want to show, share this with you here, is that place here is translated from the Greek word tapos, and now listen how this word is defined. It could be inhabited, it's an inhabited place as a city or a village. It could be a place in a book. Metaphorically speaking, it could be the condition or station of one held uh, in an accompany or in a, any company or assembly. But now watch this. The fifth definition is the, is the most intriguing one. Watch this. Opportunity, power, or occasion for acting. So give, no, give the devil no opportunity, no power, and no occasion to act against you. See, sin gives the devil, Satan and his kingdom, legal access to attack, harass, hinder, and do all manner of things against the believers. See that? This is why he wants you to believe in what my uh, black brethren in Ohio refer to as greasy grace. I'm going to get them to record that, then I'm going to be able to hit that on a button. And when I want to hit it, you'll hear Robin Rick's greasy grace. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? See, the devil's actually tricking you. He's actually getting you to set your own trap to catch you. What was the term, Vernon? Scandalon? <laughs> and we've all fell prey to it. So sickness can be a... Sickness can enter through the doorway of sin. But just because someone is sick does not mean that they have opened a doorway of sin. So important to understand these things and get a hold of it. Because then it helps us to minister to people in their time of need. Now Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles here is translated from the Greek word methodeia, and this is really the deceitfulness, craftiness, trickery, or cunning arts of the adversary. So he's trying to trick you. He's trying to get you to sin so that way you can open the door of your life for him to attack you. So then think about it like this, is that what if a large majority of the time that you're being tempted to sin, the devil is actually doing it, to get you to open up your life so he can attack you. Mm. Mm. Someone get a hold of that, it helps. See, that's why there's such warnings in the Scripture about our conduct and our mouth and how we do things. And <laughs> Regina just almost went down in the spirit right there. I don't even know what that was about. I thought she was going to translate right here for just a second. <laughs> It's like, man, this is going to be cool right here. No, no such luck. Does that make sense? Now, there is a, there is a, I'm not going to read you the text, but you could go read it for yourself. 2 Kings chapter 5 is an interesting story, biblical account of the Lord healing the Syrian commander, Naaman. All right, now Naaman was a leper. And there's a long story behind this. I encourage you to go read it. 
But Naaman goes from Syria to where the prophet Elisha is. And ultimately, the prophet Elisha tells him to do something. Naaman gets ticked off, gets mad, doesn't want to do it. And then then his servants, thankfully, thank God, talk some sense into him. And he he does exactly what God commanded him to do. And the Lord God heals him. Now, as he's leaving, he tries to give the man of God a talent of silver and two talents of, or two changes of clothing. And Elisha won't receive it. The man of God will not receive the payment for something that he himself technically did not do. That he didn't heal anybody. But so see, Naaman wants to just give. And he's just so thankful to be healed. Well, so interestingly enough, Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. Well, Gehazi sneaks off away from Elisha and goes and catches up with Naaman, the commander, and his troops. And he crafts a lie to get goods, changes of clothing, and money from Naaman. All right? So he says, uh, he says hey, my master just sent me here as you were leaving Two sons of the prophets came down from the mountains of Ephraim, and we didn't know that they were coming. So would you give a talent of silver and two two changes of clothing? And Naaman, being upright, he says, take two talents of silver and two changes of clothing. Well, so they help, Naaman's servants help Gehazi carry the stuff back to the citadel. And he takes it from their hand there, and takes it in the house and hides it. And then he goes in the presence of his master, and his master Elisha says, Gehazi, where have you been? Gehazi says, nowhere, my master. Elisha said, did not my heart go with you on the road? when you went to the commander, when he turned around from the way that he was going, and he gave you such and such? He says, from this day forward, the leprosy that was on Naaman will be on you the rest of the days of your life. And instantaneously, Gehazi was white with leprosy from head to toe. Sin opened the door. See that? So it's important for us to understand that we see in the command of the Old Testament, Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 7, that the keeping of the statutes and commandments of the Lord our God, that he'll take sickness out from the midst of us. So if, watch this, if obedience closes the door of our life and permits the Lord to take sickness out from the midst of us, then sin and disobedience opens the door of our life and permits the devil to bring it in. Wouldn't that stand to reason? Sure it would. Sure it would. And see, the thing about it is, you don't know. I mean, if sickness, some form of sickness comes upon you, huh. Yeah, I see that, Lord. Thank you. If some form of sickness was to come upon you and and you know that there's no sin or transgression, it's one thing, but when you know that you've been out doing that in which you were not supposed to do, 
and sickness comes upon you. The problem is, is that when you open the doorway of your life, you don't get to pick what the adversary attacks. That's the problem. He may not come at you. He may attack your kids. He may attack your marriage. He may attack your finances. He may, you see what I'm saying? All these different things. Does that make sense? Now, you saw me pause there for a moment. <laughs> and and, um, and the Lord uh, said something there to me that I feel like I, I want to share. And that is that in various different, and we'll maybe talk about this later, but in various different forms and sicknesses and diseases, someone that would die due to a mental health condition that was a believer would no more go to hell than someone that died with cancer. Now, there is a horribly uh, erroneous doctrine held by some denominations that regarding, you know, mental health issues and how people perish in the way when these things happen and so on and so forth. But it's important that the Lord wants the people here to know that someone that would perish due to the, as an end result of some form of mental health, if that person was a believer before they had the mental health issues, they would not be sentenced to damnation just because mental health issues was the cause of the exiting of this life. no more than dying of some form of cancer. Man, man, the Lord is trying to get that. He's trying to get, he's trying to get that out, and I'm not conveying it accurately. There, there are a number of people that struggle with various forms of mental health issues in varying degrees and varying types. Now, we don't know what those types are. We don't, maybe, if we've never had it, we don't know what it's like. I can't tell you what the water smells like in the Mediterranean Sea. I've never been there. But I can tell you what the water smells like at Sam Lawson's Pond. I've been there a lot. So it's important to understand that, that the church has developed doctrines regarding things that they think is a qualifier or disqualifier of eternal life. And the Lord says that if someone exited this life as an end result of a mental health issue, and that person was a believer before the mental health issue came upon them, or during the time that the mental health issue came upon them, if they left this life as a result of the mental health issue, they are just as much qualified for eternal life as someone that would die with some form of sickness in their body. Brother Hagin would say it like this, you're no more disqualified for heaven if you die with some type of sickness in your head than you would be if you died with some kind of sickness in your body. There, I feel like the Lord's, that's acceptable to the Lord. That's important. Because there's a lot of people that struggle with that. And the Lord is very interested in helping people. All right.
I was really looking forward to a video recording at the end of this service, but I was feel like I've been cheated now that it was done ahead of time. So we'll wrap this thing up. But if Mark and Vernon wanted to end service with some form of interpretive dance via the to the tune of a tambourine. <laughs> Man, I wish we'd have caught that on the camera. I pray this message strengthened, blessed, and encouraged you. You can find Word of Life Ministries on YouTube and Facebook. Just look for the guy with the cowboy hat on.